Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Denderen shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson while our former 250 game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and Notts County man Dean Hennessy takes a break doing some actual football work uh, this week. G'day Dino, how are you mate? Another massive show this week with the Euros coming to a thrilling conclusion of the group stages which we'll cover in detail in the second hour of the show but with the A-League grand final this weekend. We'll be dedicating the opening hour to a preview of the championship game and the battle of the Sky Blues in a contest we don't always see between the two top sides on the ladder. The Premier's Melbourne City and the reigning champions Sydney FC. Unfortunately both sides won't be at full strength after three members of each side were called into the Socceroos World Cup Kuwait hub but let's not detract too much from what should be an epic grand final. We'll get started with Fox Sports consummate host Adam Peacock to preview the matches. The broadcaster bows out from the domestic game after 15 years in the spotlight. We'll talk to Melbourne's Curtis Good, one of the aforementioned Socceroos who won't be playing to get an insight in the campaign of the Southern contenders before we wrap up the hour with Sydney FC mentor Steve Corica looking for a hat-trick of grand final wins and sixth overall for the A-League's dominant club. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas. Then we shift our focus to the Euros, which has been consuming all of us this past fortnight. We'll talk to Optus sportsman in the middle of the action, Adrian Delmont to look back on the group stages and make some predictions as we look ahead to the knockout phase. We'll continue Euro discussion with Derek and we'll wrap it up with stoppage time as we make those very selections. Michael, it's just a feast. You almost sort of feel like at the end of the group stages, um, you know, like you're you're missing out for a couple of days because there's no football. You do, but then you can just sort of focus in a little bit on Copper America just to mm. soothe your appetite. But um, I must admit, I'm really looking forward to talking to Adam Peacock and reflecting on the fine uh, contribution that Foxtel News Corp's made to football over the last 15 years. There's lots to talk about and, and get his thoughts about uh, the big grand final on this weekend. But it, it, like every week on our show, Rob, it just continues to roll on and uh, there's so much enjoyment we have in talking about the, uh, the world game with them. Correct, guys. Yes, it's a feast, Rob, and we've all been particularly gluttonous. This Sunday, the A-League Grand Final between Melbourne City and Sydney FC, as you mentioned, will be held at Amy Park with a crowd of 50%, which is going to be roughly 15,000 people. The decision was reached on Wednesday afternoon in conjunction with the Victorian Government, with Chris Beath to referee the match. City will be hoping, of course, to go one better against the side who defeated them in the last year's Grand Final, while Sydney and Steve Corica are aiming for an unprecedented third straight Australian Championship. And Rob, uh, the A-League's been batted around a little bit in terms of fixturing over the past couple of seasons, particularly around finals time, but I think this is the best case scenario. Oh, I think it is. I mean, I um, made the point about the, uh, the the spurious nature of the uh, the venue last week, um, suggesting that it was an, uh, uh, an independent venue uh, <laughs> being played. It's obviously a neutral venue, right? Yeah, neutral venue. That was the word I was looking for, of course. But uh, uh, the fact that uh, a neutral venue wasn't required for, for this event and that the Victorian government allowed the, the game to go ahead at Amy Park is, uh, is good news. Um, 15,000, I know uh, some of us would suggest that that is full house for Melbourne City anyway but it will be a good uh, atmosphere and, um, and some of us looking forward to going along. 
Staying with Melbourne City, they've locked in A-League Golden Boot winner Jamie McLaren for the next three seasons, taking his contract through to the end of 2023-24. He'll form a new long-term front line with Matthew Leckie and Andrew Naboot, who have signed deals of the same length. McLaren scored 55 goals in just 60 games since joining City, adding two Golden Boots to the one he won with Brisbane Raw. Uh, Michael has decided to uh, stick around and win plenty, and that's fair enough, particularly over the next couple of seasons, but I think as Australian football fans, and obviously it's Jamie's life, it's Jamie's career, he's happy in Melbourne, but I think we'd be a little bit disappointed if he saw out the deal and was still here in three seasons time. Yeah, I'd like to see him try at a higher level at some stage, whether that's in Japan or Korea, which I think personally he would do very well in, or um, maybe back in Europe. But um, uh, well played to Melbourne City. They're obviously flexing their financial muscle. Um, We did hear behind the scenes that they were looking to uh, have a very good team next year on the back of this uh, television deal to try and help reboot the league a a little bit. So, um, yeah, it looks like they're well on the way. And we haven't heard, obviously there's got some marquees to come, so uh, we haven't heard what they are. They could be, um, maybe they are at a changing of the guard. Maybe the juggernaut that they promised to be, they will be. The Johnny Warren Medal has been awarded to Milos Ninkovic and Ulysses Davia of Sydney and Wellington, the first time it's been shared. The pair's 34 points saw them win it from Alessandro Diamanti on 31 and Jamie McLaren on 29. Canberra's Michelle Heyman won the Julie Dolan Medal for the second time, having claimed it while at Central Coast in 2009, with Emily Gilnick and Kyra Cooney-Cross tied for second. Patrick Isnorbo and Jeff Hopkins were awarded the Coach of the Year awards for the A-League and W League, while the Young Players of the Year were Joel King and Kyra Cooney Cross. Uh, a little bit of consternation around the uh, decision around the Johnny Warren medal, Rob. I think Jamie McLaren, with his uh, record hole of goals, uh, almost definitely should have uh, had the win, but that's the uh, the fluctuation of the 3 2 1 system, I suppose. Uh, Michael, you would have been probably happy with the Michelle Heyman decision. Not so much consternation around that one, and disappointing, but I guess it's a little bit of where we're at with the, uh, the state of the broadcast at the moment and the end of days. There was no broadcast, I don't think, or if there was, it was it was very low-key. So, Rob, firstly, on uh, on Ninkovic and Davia as the winners. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I was pleased to see Davia um, in there, and if, if the, the points had to be split on, in terms of McLaren. Uh, look, I, I don't mind that the spearhead doesn't always uh, win, uh, despite the bag of goals. Uh, it seems to be the case in, in so many sports that uh, the uh, you know the quarterback of sorts uh, in in the team is the, the one who wins the trophy. But uh, uh, like in some sports, AFL is a good example of it. There's a, an under dog bolts uh, from the blue a good team player and uh, uh, and gets the medal so yeah I'm, I'm reasonably happy with the result I think Jamie McLaren hasn't missed out on the plaudits this season so far. Uh, Michelle Heyman yeah congratulations to Michelle a fantastic season she was definitely the standout player at Canberra I think she benefited the fact that there weren't other players to take votes off her unlike um, I think the combined Canberra votes were less than half of what the combined victory votes were for example so players like Molina Ayres and um, and Lisa Devanna were taken away from Kyra Cooney Cross who only came second by two votes. So um, I think they're the nuances of um, these sort of awards, aren't they? But uh, Michelle deserves her moment in the sun. Uh, she had a wonderful career and, and looking forward to see what happens uh, with her next season at Canberra. Football Australia has appointed high-performance coach Paddy Steinford as its new performance director. An Australian, Steinford has most recently been the senior performance coach with the Boston Red Sox, having also worked with clubs in the NBA, NFL and AFL. Steinford will work with the national team staff for both the Socceroos and Matildas to enhance the environments around both teams. Michael, that's certainly an impressive uh, resume, been in all the other big sports over there in the US. Uh, he's also been the head of Leading Teams New Zealand, uh, an organisation not without controversy over the uh, the journey, but what, what will you outline there as uh, as the primary 
focus of his uh, his job. They can be sort of a little bit unclear at times, these sort of high-performance managers, but he looks like a, a good appointment on the face of it. Well, I think it's a major um, upgrade in strategy or the direction that the administration's going um, in, in relation to this. I mean, he, uh, who could uh, question his CV, uh, MLB experience, NFL experience, uh, um, as well as uh, NBA experience, uh, AFL experience. I did notice there was one item of his resume that has been conveniently left off all of the Football Australia media releases, and that is that he played AFL with Richmond. And uh, they <laughs> haven't. I just wonder whether the, the narrative of, um, you know, non-football people in the past at uh, Football Australia have um, have come into for some criticism about not understanding the game, whether that was the reason why they decided to leave that off. But, I mean, it's a significant thing. He spent quite a bit of time at Richmond. He didn't play a lot of games. He played a lot of no, games he, at Coburg. He played, but, I don't think he played yeah. AFL, but he played VFL for Coburg yeah. and also in the Sandful in South Australia. Yeah, so look, but he has played, obviously, AFL. I mean, this is a really interesting appointment on the basis that they're obviously looking to to help shape the culture and, uh, and the athlete-centric nature of this and, and also challenge some of the uh, the leaders to, to, to improve. Um, interestingly enough for me, um, what, what's, what I took out of it too was that the selection panel was James Johnson, obviously, uh, technical, technical director Trevor Morgan and, and Football Australia director and former Matilda Amy Duggan. So those people uh, will be hoping that uh, Paddy Steinford uh, is the, the man that's going to help transform our national teams into the elite performing uh, entity that we need them to be. Back to the A-League, Laurie McKinner has stepped down from his role as Newcastle Jets General Manager of Football, ending his five-year association at the club. McKinner also held the CEO's position during his tenure, which included the arrival and departure of Martin Lee's ownership and the rise of the team to the grand final in 2017-18. Laurie's declared it's time to move on and that he's proud to have helped keep a club in Newcastle. Rob, I think this is always going to be the case after the uh, the three A-League clubs came in and took over last year and Shane Matisk, uh, I think he's filling quite a number of the roles that, that Laurie did at the time, but... A true heart and soul football man put his time, his effort, his, his money into the uh, the club. He's a true sort of oily rag operator around mm-hmm. the, the Mariners and now the Central Coast. And uh, I think he was coaching the, uh, the the juniors, the academy, while he was still the CEO. Yeah, well, look, we uh, Laurie has been a good friend of the show since we got started. He's always been there to help us out and, uh, and uh, contribute where uh, we needed him. Uh, he, as you said, he's a, a football man through and through. I know Edge and Dino know him a lot better than, than I do, but uh, I'd say that uh, if there's a, a bloke that is entitled to go into the pantheon of the uh, people who who are uh, uh, so critical to the the success of the, the A-League over the course of the past decade, eight and a half, that uh, Laurie McKinnon earns that right, Edge. Oh, there's not a bad word you can say about Laurie McKinnon. There's not a bad bone in his body. It was a very difficult time when uh, when the sanctions hit um, in relation to Martin being able to uh, invest in uh, the Newcastle Jets and Laurie carried the can for a long time. So um, great shift, Laurie. You are a fine, fine man. And um, I'm looking forward to see what Laurie does next because he's, he's one of those guys that people gravitate to. And, and as, you, as, as you mentioned, Rob, I know him exceptionally well. Spent a lot of time with him over the journey. And I'm... I'm just uh, really looking forward to what's next for Laurie because he's still got so much to give. He is a genuine football man, no doubt about it. Yeah, well, once everything settles down and the dust settles, um, we'll uh, have Laurie back on the show and reflect on some of those things as well. All right, well well done. Keep some of that news up your sleeve for the next hour. But before we go, and uh, we will be talking to Adam Peacock very soon, Curtis Good, Steve Corica, to preview the grand final and uh, reflect on Fox Sports' uh, departure from the domestic game. Chemist Warehouse, our very good friends. They've always got a deal for you. Synovus Vitamins are half price right now. That's Synovus Zinc Plus, 150 tablets for $8.24. Synovus Fish Oil, 1500 milligram, 200 capsules, $10.99. And 
no, John, St. John's Wort, just $8.99. Sale excludes bulk sizes. Plus, you can save 30% of the everyday low price on INC product. There's INC glutamine for $20.99, INC one kilogram plant protein for $27.99, half price off Masashi crisp bars and 40% off the entire Masashi range. Work out and get into Chemist Warehouse. Get your protein gear there. Remember, in addition to visiting your local store, you can click and collect to save time. Order online for delivery by Australia Post and get free shipping on orders over $50. I can't hear the woo-hoo from anybody in the background. I need it just to keep me in sync. That's better. Or call and ask. That's right. For the same day home delivery. Fees and charges may apply. Chemist Warehouse. Kitchen. Great savings every single day. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. That's a good start to the show. Adam Peacock next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most. Yes, this is box to box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. It is Grand Final week in the A League, but it's a historic week for the A League and for those of us who have watched the competition since it started, since the old NSL uh, was wound down and we took the break, and Fox Sports uh, stepped up to the plate and started broadcasting. Over the years, we've seen some. Wonderful broadcasts of uh, magnificent A-League seasons and uh, and everything must come to an end as it does for Fox Sports and one of the people who has been synonymous with the Fox Sports broadcast over a lot of that time is Adam Peacock and to look at the grand final and Fox Sports history with the A-League, we welcome him to the show. How are you, Adam? Good, guys. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we're looking forward to this grand final. We'll be talking to Curtis Good, who won't be playing, but uh, Stevie Corica is already down in Melbourne uh, preparing the squad. But it, uh, it must be um, a feeling of mixed emotions as the, as the grand final uh, is only around the corner. A little bit. Um, in terms of mixed emotions, the, the fact that we're not going to do it again um, is one thing, but the fact that we're, we're pretty much going to have to do it majority remotely unfortunately mm. because of the border situation um is another so it's not like some of the grand finals that we've been to in the past in the state that great one down in melbourne victory and uh sydney fc the one in adelaide stands out the one over in perth as well the the, the couple we've had up in brisbane where we've we're based in sydney um unashamedly so because <laughs> that's just where you have to be based somewhere and we're based in Sydney. So um, going to those interstate grand finals was always special, always really enjoyable to, to soak up the atmosphere in another state about how much these these supporters love their club. Um, but not being there, that that's the big thing. It's not so much that we're not doing it anymore. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like in 12 months' time. But, um, yeah, that, that's the main thing. Adam, you started off obviously um – 15 years ago when uh, Fox had the Premier League and the uh, and the A-League, and we used to love those Super Saturdays where we'd get you sort of from 4 o'clock in the afternoon right through to about 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, tell us now, truthfully, did you ever have to wake up Robbie and and uh, and Bozzo on, on some of those Premier League broadcasts <laughs> and just, you know, throw something at them across the desk or pour some coffee down their throats? Surely they had a snooze at some point. No, no, yeah. we're all. Oh, you can imagine Bozza doesn't sleep much, but yeah. um, <laughs> R- Robbie sometimes he'd come in after doing like literally the guy would come in after doing fifteen hundred push-ups. <laughs> he, that that would be his workout. He's he's a madman. He's still as fit now as he was when he was playing. Um, but sometimes he got a bit a bit tired, but ne- never like to the point where he was snoring his head off in the green room while we were trying to watch a game. So. Um, yeah, good good company. There was always there's always something ha- happening when those two are around. 
I think that's the magic of your team. You, you guys have been together so long um, um, supporting the game. And I guess um, on behalf of all football fans, um, yeah, all good things do come to an end. But it's been an incredible shift that uh, Fox Sports News Corp has been able to put in and, and really help the game uh, rebuild to, a, to where it is now. I know there's been criticism from time to time, but you must feel terrific uh, as a group, as you guys. You've, you've played a big uh, part in... Um, the game getting to where it is and rebuilding after those ends of end of the NSL days. So they were heady times the first few years of that A League, weren't they? Yeah, well, the, the first year we didn't broadcast and I wasn't involved in that side of it. I only came in two, 2009. I started okay, yeah. doing match day Saturday, but the, the early days, the, the first season, they didn't actually broadcast every game. They 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 thought because it was right, a really yeah. minimalist TV deal mm-hmm. was like under a million dollars, I think it was worth. And um, it was all production cost paid for by Fox, but I think it was only two or three games a weekend. Not all games were broadcast. But um, then I think they realised, especially after that first grand final, wow, this is what it can be. 40,000 people, um, Sydney Football Stadium, Dwight York playing, Steve Corica, who you've got on the show, um, scoring that goal. And that was where it really took off. And I think people cotton on to the fact that, yeah, the A-League is, uh, has rejuvenated the sport in a professional sense um, to a certain degree to make it more commercially viable and all those things. And we can get into all the great detail about the, the bridge that was basically imploded in between the NSL and, and the A-League. And we're still, in some respects, development-wise, paying for that right now. But in terms of what the A-League was as a shop window product, which is what Frank Lowy envisaged, it certainly worked with the help of Fox Sports and, yeah, to, to be a part of it has been a privilege and there's no real sadness about it going. Like you say, everything comes to an end. Like we're all going to expire at some point and this contract is, has expired. It's just grateful that I've been part of it for over a decade personally and, and Fox Sports for the 16-year season so far. This is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Adam Peacock, reflecting on Fox Sports Association with the A-League and uh, we're about to look ahead to the grand final. And, and speaking of which, uh, it'll be a 50% capacity, which some might say is not too bad for Melbourne City, given that um, they struggle to get 15,000, but I won't require you to comment on that. <laughs> that. Uh, but look, it'll be a good atmosphere no matter what. I've been yeah. to heaps of uh, various sports there and you really only need 10,000 in that stadium to get a good atmosphere. Um, Melbourne City, uh, finally have the opportunity to stake their claim in the firmament of Australian sport and more specifically football. I mean, they're owned by Melbourne City, uh, the, uh, the the City Group as we all now know and uh, and we, uh, we've we long railed against the fact that uh, they haven't invested as much as we would have expected them in Melbourne but there's nothing like winning a, a premiership and then a grand final to uh, to get the fans on side. So uh, what's your sense of favouritism here, uh, particularly with uh, so many players out from the the recent uh, Socceroos hub, yeah, I, I I tip it in the favour of Melbourne City home crowd a factor, the way they played against Macarthur a factor, the the notion that those young kids who came in up front with Noon and uh, also the boot stuffed physically and McLaren sitting in a hotel room in Sydney, watching on uh, that Kolakowski, Atkinson, and Tilio were <laughs> game changers essentially. So that any hint of kind of nervousness on that part is put aside. Uh, the, the way they go about it, the, their, and personally speaking, I think Ross and Griffiths is their most important player. He's the one that kind of 
steadies them so much. And Aidan O'Neill helps as well. A good number six, always need a good defensive midfielder. But Ross and Griffiths, you, you look at them this season and when he's not there, they're not the same side. And it's weird because he's like probably on the 10th or 11th line of betting in terms of the, the one that you'd favour to win their player of the year. So, yeah, I, I do tip it in Melbourne City's favour just, but that's not to say that Sydney FC can come out with this mind-blowing um, performance, especially if Ninkovic starts, and that's a big one as well. Does he start on the bench? Does he does he start the game? But just have it in Melbourne City's favour. Adam, just a final one on selection. Paddy Kiznorbo's got a few head-ups, headaches at the top of the park. Andrew Naboot has declared himself fit and good to go. Craig Noon also coming back from injury. Earlier in the season, you would have thought they were just about lock-in starts, but you mentioned Tilio and Kolakovsky with the, the one-two punch against McCarthy. You interviewed them after the game. Both seemed like impressive young guys. You'd have to think that Kiznorbo would be tempted to stick with if, if not two, at least one of them? Oh, it's hard with injuries. Now, they're helped by the fact, and the same with Sydney with Ninkovic, they're helped by the fact that now there's five substitutions yep. you can make. But you'd hate to burn two on two guys who come off the bench and have to be substituted. You have to start them because you know then that Tilio and Kolakowski can run out the game. Whereas if you start in a boot and also noon on the bench and bring Tilio and Kolakowski off after 60, 75 minutes and then put them on and they last 10 minutes, well, who are you going to put on? So I've got a feeling they'll start the game just based on that. And we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll exactly wait and see about how they do it. But if I was the coach, which I'm clearly not, I'd do. I'd, uh, I'd do that. Sorry about the messages coming through, by the way. <laughs> we, right. we said you were a busy man at the top of the show, mate. We expected that. <laughs> This is my mates messaging me. I haven't heard from them in like four weeks and then all of a sudden they decide to message me when I'm doing this. And There, I there, there, there are no tickets to the grand final, mate. Just We all know grand final. Well, mate. I can't help in that regard either. I'm not even going to be in bloody Melbourne. So anyway. So, Adam, um, I'll ask you the obvious one. What's your... Um, is there is there one game in the whole A League that you've covered that stands out? The, the one for me is the semi final where Terry Antonis scored the own goal and then <laughs> went down the other end and uh, and scored the the winner. That one sticks in my mind as being an incredibly dramatic and fantastic uh, broadcast event. But is there is there something that sticks out to you? Gee, it's hard to top the two all in Brisbane. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it Brisbane is, Mariners. Yeah. And a couple of things about that. Robbie Slater. Two minutes before kickoff, Robbie, tip and why? Uh, I think two all, <laughs> too, too hard to split. Bozza chimes in. I'll shave my head if that happens. <laughs> Partaloo scores. Yeah. And then standing there, because I was doing the presentation that night as well, and standing there watching Graham Arnold standing alone, and he was literally five metres from me, and I was on the stage, and he was five metres in front of him, he was looking at me, but not looking at me, if you know what I mean. He was staring. He had the thousand-yard stare, yeah. muttering, and I can't repeat what he was muttering, but it rhymes with fire truck. <laughs> and he, oh, that, that sight will never leave me forever because they just had their hearts ripped out Central Coast. It was just an extraordinary night of drama. And yeah. we, we got a few of those up there in Brisbane. We did, didn't uh, we? We got a few of those around the, the country. fish, but, he was all over it, wasn't he? Yeah, that, that one just just ahead of uh, a decent old field in terms of standout moments.
Mm. Yeah, good on you, mate. Great hey, memories. Yeah, Adam, we'll uh, cherish them. We uh, we've really enjoyed the last decade and a half, but uh, uh, we'll continue to watch Fox Sports and continue to watch your efforts across uh, the various sports that you cover, mate. And um, and have you back on the show in future, um, you know, when the time comes up, because there will be more football to talk about. But uh, enjoy the grand final this weekend, mate. And uh, on behalf of all football fans, thanks again. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. We are going to shift to uh, the clubs now. Hilda scored. He's not playing, but uh, he um, will know exactly what's going on at Melbourne City uh, ahead of their uh, grand final against Sydney FC this weekend. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS and News Talk Sport. We talked to Adam Peacock before the break about the uh, grand final, the final Fox Sports grand final, but it is. Uh, the second grand final for Melbourne City after they uh, lost last year and uh, they're looking to redeem themselves on home soil. Fortunately, they've earned the right and they've got it uh, despite the best efforts of COVID-19. And to discuss it with us is a man who's been such an such an important element to the team to get them to this point is Curtis Good. And uh, he's locked up in quarantine. How are you, Curtis? Uh, hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, day seven of the quarantine, so halfway there. Oh, good on you, mate. So, so you've, you've, you've broken the back of it, but uh, just unfortunately, it's just the way it is. Uh, three players from each uh, club will uh, not be able to play in the grand final because of COVID and the uh, and the Socceroo bubble. But before we get to the grand final and, and this season, uh, I mean, look, any, everyone who, who follows football in this country knows your incredible story uh, with the national side, uh, the, the long break uh, in between your debut match and uh, and playing in that qualifier against Taiwan in the in the recent bubble where you, you were part of the squad that qualified for the next round. Uh, did it feel a little surreal after all that time? And there must have been some dark moments with all the injuries. Uh, yeah, it did definitely, especially um, getting into camp. I mean, there was a lot of people who I hadn't seen in that, that period in seven years. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, I wouldn't want to say it's been quick. Like, it feels like it's a lifetime ago. Mm. I was um, in camp back in the day. So it was it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, enjoyed seeing a lot of mates as well who I played with coming up and hadn't seen in a while so it was a lot of fun in the end. And there's one thing about Arnie, he, he likes to be positive, doesn't he? There's uh, um, there's not a negative bone in the big fella's body and uh, he uh, he likes the boys, he likes the atmosphere and uh, and, and to, to really get everybody together and get some camaraderie and, and collegiate uh, sort of association going and then to go on and win matches the way that you did, you know, against, uh, they're not the, the, they're the titans of football, but you've got to get the job done on uh, um, hostile soil and, and many of them are countries from the Middle East who, who wanted to play in what ostensibly is a home tournament next year? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was um, when you're over there, the, the conditions make it um, a lot more difficult maybe than you would you, you would see watching on TV. So it was um, credit to the boys and credit to the group for, I guess, preparing and um, getting the job done as, as well as well as we did. I mean, um, eight, eight games out of eight games is pretty impressive no matter who you're playing. So uh, at the end of the day, it was a job well done and that's credit to the environment that was made as well. Um, Obviously, as you said, like it's been seven years since I've been there, and there's a few debutants coming into camp, and uh, it all clicked very well. No one felt out of place, and everyone felt comfortable, which was important considering it was only a two week camp. Curtis, I've done quite a bit of work in the Middle East, so I know how oppressive this time of the year is. And Kuwait, of all places, is one of the hottest places in the Middle East. And I know Arnie said before the the event started, we had him on uh, on the program. He said uh, no one's allowed to 
mention that word that starts with H, hot. But um, I did <laughs> notice that uh, I think the last game uh, against Jordan, it kicked off in 47 degrees. Can you just give um, our listeners a bit of a, um, in, a little bit of insight into just how hot it is and how much it takes out of you, in, in particular preparing to play? Um, naturally, it does have um, a different effect on your body, but it was important, uh, especially for some of the boys who got there earlier, and um, even us that came a bit later, had that few days to sort of climatise to it. I know um, when we first got um, out of the airport, it did really hit you, and you were, you were like, wow, this is, this is really hot. But after a few sessions of that, you sort of acclimatised to it quicker than, than you thought so when you, when you first got into camp. So it, it makes it that bit easier. Um, but Fred itself, um, obviously the people who organise these things as well, the games are played late. They're going to play sort of the best conditions possible for, for where, we're, where we're playing. So, yeah, um, yeah, from a festival perspective, I mean, it, it, it was very hot, but uh, I think you could see from the evidence in that we, we worked harder than pretty much any team out there. So at the end of the day, the, uh, the impact wasn't, wasn't that big on us. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did notice that. I thought that uh, everybody was working their, their bollocks off to, uh, to well and surely get the job done. But well done, Curtis. Um, uh, everybody involved in that program should be very, very happy. Now, let's, uh, you've, you've been um, quarantined for seven days. Um, you've been, out, I don't know how many days you've been out of your home bed, but um, uh, how are you feeling watching everything sort of transpire from your hotel room? Um, uh, you must be, just want to want to feel the, the vibe at the club and get out and do a session with with your teammates, no doubt? Uh, definitely. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot more hard-hitting when you're actually sitting in quarantine. Um, the thought of it when we were heading over was, uh, wasn't was sort of that that disappointing. But now, being in this situation, it sort of um, bring, brings it uh, more evident because you're thinking about it all day. And uh, after watching the semi-final, I was sweating here in bed because <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it, was, it was a stressful watch. Um, but credit to the boys, I mean, getting the job done under the circumstances with the game changing locations and a few, uh, a few injuries as well. So, um, yeah, I have to admit it was a stressful afternoon. <laughs> Curtis, a lot has been made over the past month in regards to Melbourne City about the absentees that you will have for the, uh, the finals and the grand final. But in grand final week, no one's been speaking about that because it's been all about Marco Tilio and Stefan Kolokowski. You've come up against these guys in training for the past couple of years. What is it in their development that you've seen that's taken them from guys who are maybe lucky to come on and get one or two or three minutes to, uh, to now taking centre stage, heading into a grand final and making a real difference for the team? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just, just the experience. I mean... I know that, um, I've known Collar a few years now, and uh, obviously Tilio's um, new to the club and had a bit more experience coming in. But I, I think it's really evident watching the games and um, even even training in the second part of the season. I mean, these boys are really coming along, and um, they can sort of prove that what well, they have proved already that they can step into those roles and um, fit into the system and seemingly just get the job done the way we want to. And I mean, that's always important in uh, in squads that maybe aren't as big as squads in Europe and that, where you have to rely on your depth a lot. And um, yeah, I, uh, I've been lining up against them in training for, for a while now. And after that, I don't enjoy it. They are very sharp. They're very quick. They're very skillful. Um, so it's great to see them bring in that sort of training, training form in, um, into games. 
This is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Melbourne City, Curtis Gould and Soccer of course, in lockdown or quarantine, I should say, for another seven days. He's going to miss the grand final, but he's uh, hanging out to see his team get their first uh, championship to go along with that hard-earned premiership. And Curtis, on to the future of Melbourne City. Huge signing news at the club this week. Jamie McLaren locked in for another two years on top of the one he already had to come. Matthew Leckie and Andrew Naboot have signed similar length deals uh, over the past couple of weeks. And it comes six months after your own re-signing, as well as Tom Glover. So that's really the spine of the side set up for a long time to come. Apart from the obvious, being winning and, and the chance to win a, a bucket load of trophies, what is it about the club that's uh, resulting in players committing long-term and, and attracting talent? What is it sort of, what are the, the intangibles uh, outside of winning that are, that are seeing these sort of re-signings? Um, I think it's a lot of things, to be honest. It's uh, obviously word of mouth as well from players who, who've been playing um, at City, especially for the last couple of years. I mean, you get questions about what it's like to play, to play there and that, and overwhelmingly, the majority of players who play at City will just tell you that have the best facilities, one of the best cultures going around with the best style of football. And I, th- I guess that sort of the boxes near tick if you want to um, keep people like J Mac Rand and um, have Lex come into the team. So it's important to keep on building on that. It's not something that you just want to have for a year or two and then sort of cycle out of it. So it's important that, as you said, we've got that spine now. Um, where if we continue just on the path we're on and sort of that same mentality that in, in the future you will, will be uh, sort of after even, even bigger players that um, will, will be a part of the city. So I guess just keep that culture going and um, players who come back to play in Australia will, will sort of see city as a place to be. Now, Curtis, uh, Willem asks all the soft questions. I'm going to ask you a really hard one here now, so get ready for it. <laughs> we want to know um, what Netflix series you're watching in quarantine and, and how lucky are, are you that the Euros are on? So if you have a sleepless night, you can just flick on Optus Sport and uh, catch the Euros. What have you been watching in quarantine to help uh, pass those endless days? <laughs> well, I've actually um, I've bashed out about five seasons of The Office at the moment. Oh, okay. So you're having um, a giggle. That's good. Steve Carell, not the yeah. uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, no, the, the American version. Yeah. Um, Steve Carell. Um, so, yeah, bashed that out five seasons already. Um, <laughs> on top of the Euros, doesn't really help the sleeping pattern, but <laughs> sort of uh, passes the time as well, which is good. So Are you getting that's a, the biggest. a little bit of Copper America? Uh, no, I haven't actually. I haven't been watching it. I've... Uh, just been watching the Euros and the um, yeah and, and the Office Netflix PlayStation, the Office, and then they've given us a bike and um, a few weights, so kind okay. of uh, do a bit of work. But unfortunately, working towards an off season, which isn't always motivating. Yeah, well, mate, remember September. There's that uh, all important uh, next phase of qualifying, mate. So uh, we need you to be called up and fit and ready for that. So uh, you know, as long as you're just watching stuff and not eating chocolate and hamburgers from room service, mate. <laughs> so it's the most important thing. No, I've been alright. I've been alright. Good on you, mate. All right, hey Curtis, we've been lo- uh, we love watching your story and um, and uh, the fact that you've sort of uh, come full circle with the Socceroos. Uh, you won't be there for the grand final, but you're every bit as important to the entire squad uh, if the team does get the job done. And um, we wish. Uh, you and uh, your Melbourne City teammates all the best for Sunday. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Curtis Good. Steve Corrigan X will be wishing him all the best.
for the Sydney FC boys. It's well, a sky blue uh, it is, uh, battle, isn't it? Did you, uh, who, did you tip Curtis was an office man? Just sort of hmm, no, I don't think I would have. Quarantine? No, but it is pretty funny. It stuff. is pretty good show. Yeah. I was watching a couple of episodes the other night. <laughs> it's it's pretty pretty um, incorrect, politically incorrect, if you, it's if good. you haven't it's watched pretty it. Funny. It is. Yeah. It's very funny. All right, Steve Corrick, next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the yes, most this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. And in our second COVID-affected A-League season, the grand final is only days away. And who would have been surprised at the beginning of the season to suggest that Sydney FC would be participating? It certainly the man we're about to talk to, the coach of the Sky Blues, Steve Corica, wouldn't have been welcome back to the show. Steve, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. There were stages earlier on in the year, though, that that argument might have been sort of the pendulum of it swinging the other way. It sort of looked like uh, um, that, you know, you were out of touch, but I guess any football man, any sports, professional sports person knows that uh, that's not the time to be too concerned. It's just getting uh, into the right order for the back end of the season, which you've managed to do. Yeah, I think, you know, at the start of the season, uh, it was quite strange, actually, because there's a lot of teams that have played two extra games and other teams as well so it didn't really even out until you know the probably over the halfway mark of the season so and you know obviously we started to to put it together towards the back end of the season I think we've gone seven straight uh seven straight wins so obviously you know with Bobo coming back in and then LaFondra coming back in towards the end of the season has helped out with you know because we had a lot of draws at the start of the season and um you know we just weren't putting teams away and with them two coming back into the side it's obviously helped it was a bit like a stagger in a 400-metre race, wasn't it, mate? You really only get to see the way that the race is panning out in the final straight. But, uh, look, you, you're there now and uh, and you're gunning for your hat-trick of grand final wins. It'll be your sixth overall. You're already the most successful A-League club in the history of the competition in its present format, and we pay respect to, obviously, the NSL and previous iterations yep. of the top flight of football in Australia. But um, Melbourne City, they've been uh, long known as a frustrating club uh, in so far as their performances on the field, the heart originally, uh, uh, they've never necessarily gotten to the hearts and minds of Melburnians. But this is a massive match for them. They've managed to get around the COVID restrictions to be able to host the game as is their right as premiers. Yep. Uh, uh, it, it looks like the, the toughest grand final yet to, to win. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this is the grand final replay from last season. The only difference is we're in Melbourne this year instead of Sydney. So, obviously, you know, they'll be wanted to try and to win their first grand final. They've won their first premiership um, this season. So, um, you know, by being the most consistent team over the course of the season. So, now it's their opportunity to try and win a grand final. But, you know, we're trying to stop them as well. And we, we've got... Uh, our, our goals that we set early on in the season to do the three-peat and, and give ourselves the best chance. Now we've, we're one game away, we're looking forward to it, um, albeit in, in Melbourne, um, but it's, you know they deserve to, to host the game because they won the Premiership. Steve, just for the fans at home, tell us about the rushed uh, departure from Sydney and uh, what you've um, what you've had to, to get organised quickly and, and obviously you're down in Melbourne, uh, I think, on Wednesday night. Yeah, we got down here early, obviously, you know, with all these restrictions coming to Sydney and, and border closures and stuff like that. So I just wanted to get the squad down here as soon as possible so we can just start focusing on, on the grand final and not what's happening around us in Sydney. So, um, and obviously, I think there is going to be closures uh, midnight tonight. So, obviously, the crowd, if we can get any 
people from Sydney coming down to the game. They hope to get down here uh, today. So, you know, we have family and stuff coming down, so they'll get down here today at some stage or tonight, and um, obviously they'll be looking forward to the game. But other than that, the the, the other people can't watch. Uh, they'll have to watch it on the telly back home, but I'm sure they they give us our support and we'll do our best for them. And what sort of rules are you bound by when you're down here? Do you, do you live in a bubble or you're getting tested every second day? I mean, what are the what are some of the protocols that you have to uh, uh, cop with, you know, prepare, or yeah, we, to prepare? Yeah. The moment we got here and we arrived at the hotel, we had to get tested. So, And then we had to stay in the room just until we got uh, our negative test back. So we've all been cleared and, and, and ready to go. So, you know, we're, we're just hanging around the hotel. You know, if we go out, we'll wear a mask and that but we're not really interacting too much with other people you know we're just pretty much in our little bubble you know going to training and, and in our team room and doing video that kind of stuff so um, yeah so we're just sticking to ourselves at the moment this is box to box on nine radio nts news talk sport we're talking to sydney fc coach steve corrigan ahead of the grand final against melbourne city this sunday Steve, I was having a look at the grand final lineups from last year, and of the 18 players you selected, all 18 are still at your club, of course, the one who left in Adam LaFondra, has come back in a league that historically has pretty high turnover. That's pretty remarkable, uh, in my opinion. You won't have access to all 18 this week, but is that a, has that been a directive from you and the club to, uh, to try and keep as many of this group together as possible, or has it been more a byproduct of your environment that the players themselves actually want to stay and they want to come back when they head overseas? Well, a bit of both, I think. Uh, you know, obviously we wanted to keep this group together because they they won the double last season, and we, you know, we, I believe that we've got the best squad, and and we, I believe we can win more trophies with this squad. Um, it's fantastic that they all wanted to stay as well and, and be part of something special, and and now they have the opportunity to make history for the club. So, um, you know, I'm really happy with the, the squad we had and we put together, and uh, like you said, there's 18 players that are, are back again this year, and and gunning for another another championship. And you've been the, the dominant side Sydney FC over the past five years, as Rob mentioned, probably not so this season with Melbourne City winning the Premier's Plate. You've probably been slightly more under the radar, uh, but you did take 12 uh, points in 12 of your last 13 games. As a manager, when you've got a successful side over multiple seasons, have you sort of had to change the narrative uh, and the storyline for the players to, to keep things fresh? Has that under the radar narrative been something that you, you've harnessed with the group? Well, I think everyone's probably looked at us as under the radar. We've never really looked at it like that because I think uh, if you look at uh, where we finished, we've obviously finished second, two points behind Melbourne City. So, you know, it's not like we've uh, we've missed uh, the mark by far, really. And, and really two points is the game that we probably drawed in, in Leichhardt Oval against them. So, you know, we've been uh, slowly building, I think, the start of the season. We started a little bit slower, but... For me, the, some of the football we played early on in the season has always been uh, has been good. So we just weren't putting teams away. And I think now, obviously, like I said, with Bobo and Fondra back and, and the other boys all firing as well. But, um, yeah, we've taken our chances and, and we've had a great run at the back end of the season. So obviously we've gone a little bit, I think, under the radar. But, that's, uh, you know, it's just um, our boys know how to win big games and you know this is another massive game for us especially away from home certainly is Steve and uh, you're not under the radar in my books uh, I think your form's been terrific I just want to um, ask you about the impact of uh, not playing in the Champions League obviously the the fixed clashes the the, the, the virus 
quarantine yep. rules have prevented the three Australian clubs from participating. But how much of a blow is that to the players and you personally? Because it is a great challenge and it is a great competition. Um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on what it means to miss that this year. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. Obviously, the league's gone a little bit longer this season, so we we missed it for that and COVID reasons as well. Um, you know, it's a great competition. The players want to play in it. Obviously, we as a club want to want to be involved in a competition like that. It's great. It's great to play against the best players in, in Asia, and um, you know, it's an opportunity for other players as well to play in Asia and and to go on maybe. And, get a gig somewhere else so, you know that's what we we want in the end if um, if they're good enough to go and play against the best players and uh, you know the ACL is a, is a part of that and um, it's unfortunate that we're we're not playing this, this season but um, you know we've got the half spot again next season so give it a go next season and see what happens Steve um, it's the 16th A-League Grand Final you were in the first one you continually contend for the top titles in this uh, competition. Um, we know it'll be a, a great game on Sunday, regardless of who wins. It's a historic game. We talked to Adam Peacock earlier on the show. It's the last game broadcast by the uh, the host broadcaster, Fox Sports, who've been with the competition since day one. So uh, we wish you luck, mate, to the boys. And um, whatever the result is, uh, we hope it's going to be a, a classic iteration of, uh, of the LA Grand Final. Yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate it. No worries, Steve Corrick, joining us ahead of the grand final on Sunday. All right, it's been a busy first hour. Stick around, it's going to be an even busier second hour. We're going to shift our focus to the Euros. We'll talk to Adriano Del Monte. He was at uh, Bucharest for that final game uh, of the group stages. What a classic group stage that was. We'll talk to Derek and Dell again and wrap up uh, in other aspects as we look forward to the knockout stages. In fact, we won't talk uh, to Dino because uh, he's not with us. Uh, and we'll talk stoppage time to wrap it all up. That's next on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For the Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Welcome back to Box to Box, a busy show this week. A-League, we've covered that. The grand final, looking forward to it on Sunday. Second edition news, though, shortly. Socceroos and Matildas Central with Willem. We're going to talk to Optus Sports, Adriano Del Monte, about the Euros. Uh, we're going to talk more Euros with uh, Derek, and uh, we're going to make some predictions about what we have uh, come to uh, be convinced will be one of the great knockout phases of the uh, of the Euros uh, and its uh, its uh, current iteration. Well, I might it be very excited. You getting those um, blue? It's going to be great. White. And it's going to be good. Orange. You just say, let me get at the news, Rob. I've got squillions of items and you're just waffling. Come on, give me the news. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Grand and Gold Army. There is nothing more special than tournament football, international tournament football, Rob. And when it's Australia's turn, once again, you will want to be there. Take the first step today and sign up for the Grand and Gold Army mailing list. Where do you do it, Michael? ggatravel.com.au. you'll be... Among the first to know about future Socceroos and Matildas tours, gatravel.com.au. Just a couple of players around the world to tick off on. Firstly, Chloe Legazzo has made her long-awaited debut for the newly formed Kansas City in the NWSL. She signed with them back in January from Bristol City. She's finally gotten on the park for them. Uh, she played in the second half of the bench in their 3-1 loss. Mustafa Amini has bounced around for a little while without a club. 
He signed with Cypriot club Apollon Limassol. And uh, Kieran Backer is not necessarily a socceroo, but he's just 90 minutes away from a CAF Champions League. That's the Confederation of African Football Champions League final with Kaiser Chiefs. They won the first leg of their semi-final against Wydad Casablanca of Morocco 1-0. Michael, I've got a couple of things for you. Firstly, have you been to Johannesburg where the Kaiser Chiefs play? It looks like a cracking ground. Not only have I been to Johannesburg to see, uh, see their ground, I've actually seen the Kaiser Chiefs play against the Orlando Pirates in one of the great football experiences of my life. And um, when he gets back to Australia, we should talk about that because they are one of the most famous African football teams and they play in, of course, my black and gold. And they're desperate to win this Champions League because they're the only one of South Africa's big three not to have done so. Correct. I know you like to put Rob on the spot with your, his football knowledge. I was going to do the same to you, but I think you're already all over it. Can you name the other two sides in South Africa's big three? Orlando Pirates, Spot on, yes. Yeah, and uh, Kaiser Chiefs. And Bidsvest. Bidvest University is the other one that's made the big one. Incorrect. No, who is it? No, not a member of the three. Rob, do you want to throw out a guess? No. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Mamaloli Sundowns. Oh, that's right. That's and who? That's right. It's the Sundowners. Yeah, they're they of from course. Pretoria. That's exactly yeah. what it was. <laughs> Over to Japan, a couple of managerial, a uh, bit of managerial news to touch on. Pete Klamowski, he's made a great start to life with Montedeo Yamagata in the J2. He's had five wins and a draw from his first six, and they've also progressed to the third round of the Emperor's Cup and breaking news on Thursday afternoon, the Asian game Scott McIntyre, a man who knows Japanese and Australian football and the intersection there, better than anyone he doesn't report nonsense when he reports, it's generally bang on it was the case with Ange Postacoglu a couple of weeks ago, he has, uh, he's reported that the Marinos have found their replacement for Ange Michael and it was a man who replaced Ange at Melbourne Victory back in 2013 Kevin Musket, and if this is true, which I absolutely have no doubt it is, it's just another fantastic moment for Australian football. And uh, they've obviously got the Melbourne Victory model over there at uh, Yokohama. They because don't forget Kevin. I hope they don't use the entire model. Up no, until not, not until the, not the most recent one. Yokohama going down. But obviously, <laughs> Kevin was very successful when he took over from uh, Ange Postecoglou at Melbourne Victory. So let's. Hope that continues and to, to keep the Australian flavour at Yokohama would be fantastic. Over to the Euros, Cristiano Ronaldo's double for Portugal against France has seen him move to 109 international goals, level with Iran's Ali D for the most scored in men's internationals. Ronaldo scores here. He matches Ali D's international goals record of 109. Was there ever going to be any doubt? He's also now scored 20 goals at World Cups and European Championships combined, moving past the previous record of 19 held by Miroslav Kloser. 52-year-old Day... I love that, Dan. There's some of the great commentary. Miroslav Kloser. Uh, Ali Day, he's now 52. He played for Iran between 93 and 2006. He was very quick to jump on Instagram and congratulate Ronaldo, saying he was honoured and proud that his record would soon belong to him. They're the only two players to pass 90, Rob, and the way he's going, Ronaldo could bring on another 20 or 30. And it's interesting that Day's record was set uh, in the era uh, where Iran famously beat the Socceroos at 1907. Mm-hmm. He, he, he had a role in those games. No, no he wasn't in those teams. No, I went back and had a look at them. Okay. It was coded out as Ziz that famously showed his dagger into our hearts at yeah. the MCG. 
We're over halfway through the Copper America group stage and it's Brazil and Argentina who sit atop the north and south zones. Just one team will be dropped from each group of five to reach a final eight. In the north zone, it's Ecuador and Venezuela fighting it out for survival, while in the south, Bolivia sit bottom after two games. But Uruguay, they're not doing too well. They're only a point above them. Those two sides will play on Friday morning. That is a, a crucial match. Michael, uh, you've been watching a fair bit of the Copper as of you, Rob. Just very briefly, a couple of your key takeaways and I've retweeted Luis Diaz's goal for Colombia on the Box to Box Twitter account. Have a look at that. Yes, that is a special goal and the Brazil defeated Colombia 2-1 and Brazil struggled through the entire match and the winning goal came after a a magnificent bicycle kick from Luis Diaz who you can see on the Box to Box Twitter account. Uh, The winning goal, um, believe it or not, um, uh, came from Neymar, a Neymar cross which ricocheted off the referee and the Colombians were incredibly uh, disappointed. That was a controversial end. It keeps Brazil's running streak to 11 matches uh, unbeaten. And the other bit of um, news came from off the park with Chile being fined 15000 US dollars for allowing a barber to visit the players in their COVID bubble hotel environment. We all know Vidal <laughs> loves the, 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 uh, the old Vidal, he loves the mohawk loves and the, the cliché. Yeah. So uh, obviously they got caught out. Uh, and believe it or not, uh, they all turned up to a game with uh, the smart-looking haircuts and the mm. authority said, uh, what have you been doing? It was the German hairdressers' authority that complained last year, wasn't it, that That's the players right, were was, going out there yes. playing with fresh cuts while yeah. they weren't allowed to operate. That's yeah, right. yeah, they could have done what I did during the middle of COVID and just had a clipper and had the, had the Zoom haircut, which it looked good from the front, but from the back it was just an absolute... Next, lucky week, next week, we were the doing the show Copper Zoom America flies up next week, so uh, when we get through to the knockout phase. Yeah, exactly, and I've been watching it so far on, on Optus Sports, of course, uh, the three-minute little high. Packages are always good. Even uh, it's missing the, crowds, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it is. Um, and I've got to say oh, that their their efforts at incorporating the crowd noise <laughs> is not quite synchronised. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, well done. Thank you, um, Adriano Del Monte, Optus Sports. Uh, where's he going to be? Is he going to be in Budapest, Bucharest, Rome? I don't know where he's going to be. We're going to talk to him next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial. This is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now we're focused on the domestic uh, side of football in the opening hour of the A League Grand Final, of course, on Sunday. But uh, it's also uh, heady times for the Euros as we enter the sharp end of the tournament. We watched some classic group stage matches, and uh, it's all over now. We know what we're in for with the group stages, and to talk about it, our good friend from. To sports and many other media outlets. Adriano Domotti, how are you, mate? Very, very well. Very busy period here in the middle of the European Championships, but uh, all going well. It's exhausting, but it must be exhilarating at the same time. We watched you on the Optus coverage at the uh, Portugal-France match uh, in Hungary, and uh, you've just landed in Milan. And you were there for 24 hours going through some COVID protocols before you head back uh, over to the UK. Yeah, that's right. Uh, last night, Portugal-France, that was Game number seven for me in the group stage, so it's been a busy start to the Euros. But in Milan now for 24 hours, get to, to see my apartment very quickly, and then, yeah, you're right off to London for Italy, Austria in the round of 16, and Romania, Rome, Munich, and back to London for the semis and finals to come. So it's been a, it's been a lot of fun, but certainly a, a busy start to, to the Euros. But some incredible games I've been very lucky to see, and hopefully more to come as well. Of course, so speaking of the group games, we've seen 
everything and more than and we could have possibly imagined. Uh, I mean, of course, there was the, uh, the, uh, the the nearly heartbreaking story of Christian Eriksen uh, and the fairy tale ending, which uh, could have only happened in Copenhagen. I mean, we've seen uh, former champions on their knees, like Spain and uh, France, uh, Germany, I should say, um, and uh, sort of get off the canvas and manage to get themselves through. We've seen uh, Italy of all teams. They've never scored three goals in a Euros going into this tournament. They score three goals back to back and they're playing like uh, uh, it's <laughs> it's just a, a backyard kickabout. Um, England, of course. I mean, it wouldn't be England if uh, if there wasn't uh, uh, finger wringing and gnashing of teeth about the the national side. I mean, how do you, how do you piece together some of the the uh, the, the main storylines to a cohesive whole? We've been very lucky to see most of the the big nations play. Obviously, France and Portugal last night. I saw the Germany and Portugal crash as well, which was, uh, for me, a bit of a tournament-defining fixture. I didn't think after watching Germany do what they did after that opening day defeat to France, I didn't think watching Germany beat Portugal 4-2 that Portugal were a contender to win the Euro. So that was perhaps my first big shift because I did fancy Portugal before the tournament started. But I really liked what I saw from Germany, and that sets up now a wonderful match in the round of 16 for them against England at Wembley. Really excited for that one. So I think Germany has gone a little under the radar. Just from having seen them a couple of times, I really like what I see from them at their best. Obviously, they weren't at their best on the final day against Hungary, but now Germany drawn into definitely the weaker half of the draw. Really, England and Netherlands, the only other two that could potentially go the distance, I do feel. So I really need Germany to, to make the final, and I feel that they're growing as the tournament progresses. As for the other half of the draw, it's quite incredible that we're into the round of 16 with six heavyweights in that top half of the draw. Obviously, Belgium and Portugal will be an incredible round of 16 clash. Italy or Austria will take on the winner of that match in the quarterfinal. And then with France, Switzerland, Spain and Croatia, that other quarter of the top half, there are going to be so many big matches to come. But Certainly for me, the takeaway from the group stage, really impressed by, by Italy, the team locally that I've been covering, obviously, for, for many, many years. I think Germany looks very good. And, and look, it, it's been refreshing to see Hungary, who, despite bowing out of the competition, really refreshing to see what they were able to do in the group stage, quite incredibly in that group of death. They led for longer than any team, despite finishing bottom. So it's why we love international football. And, Obviously, great to see fans back in the stands. Adriano, I wanted to hone in on your boys, the Azuri. The win over Wales was a significant one in their history. Of course, their 30th game unbeaten, equaling their record under Vittorio Pozzo in the 1930s. Uh, Roberto Mancini has called for calm. He's claimed that there's still a number of trophies behind uh, the great Pozzo sides of the 30s. But what kind of esteem is Mancini being held on? Uh, what esteem is he being held in on the streets of uh, Milan and Rome and around Italy for his efforts with the team uh, since taking over in 2018? Yeah, enormous respect, love, devotion, admiration, everything you can think of for Roberto Mancini. What he has been able to do with this Italian national team off the back of obviously a team that missed the 2018 World Cup, arguably the lowest point in the nation's rich history, has been unfathomable. I don't think anyone would have expected this. And the fact that they're obviously on that unbeaten streak, if they can make it 31 unbeaten against Austria, that will break the all-time record, which is quite incredible in itself. They've obviously won 11 straight, having not conceded a goal in that entire period. So, look, all of the records, all the numbers are all well and good, but the key for me, having followed Italy for as long as I have, the key for me, what Mancini has brought 
to this team and why his efforts have been so highly regarded is the fact that it has been a very clear shift in mentality from the Italian national team. For many, many decades, Italy have played to, to win narrowly, win by a goal to nil, two nil at max. But this is an Italian team who now they score one and they're not done there. They want that second, they want that third. And we have not seen historically that level of hunger and desire from any Italian team. And again, having seen all of the, the top teams, with exception to England at this point, play, I really do feel that Italy are more than capable of matching any nation at, at the Euros this summer. I, I feel that Italy are perhaps, they don't have the, the most stars in terms of star power on paper, but they are the best team that I've seen play. And that's all due to Mancini and what he's built over the, the, the course of his tenure as the national team boss. You would have seen the stats that Italy have played every single one of their players in the three group games, with exception to the third goalkeeper, which that has not been done ever before. So it doesn't matter who plays. Mancini's system works. Mancini's approach works. And as a result, we're seeing this Italian team really maximise their potential. And you mentioned the, the Nadir of missing the 2018 World Cup. Is that something that's on the minds of, of the people uh, on the streets? Is this tournament being seen as a chance to exercise a few of those demons and maybe a bit of a redemption narrative? Or are they being sort of held apart as, as separate storylines? Absolutely. It's, it's something that still is painful to even think about for any Italian. There, there's no hiding away from that fact. The fact that they were complacent, let's be honest, they were very complacent in that playoff against Sweden in late 2017 and thought that it would just be taken care of and, and it wasn't to be the case. So when I say there's also been a shift in Italian football in terms of the players on the pitch, there's also been a shift in mentality towards all matches, whether they be friendlies or international tournaments, off the pitch for the fans, the media and everyone around because they're well aware that football is is uh, strong all over the world. You need to respect every opponent. And we certainly saw that in the group stage against Switzerland, against Turkey and against Wales. And we'll obviously see it this weekend against Austria that you need to respect the opponents and you need to... to do the best you can in every match. And again, historically, not something, I know it sounds ridiculous, but not something Italy have done when they've come up against weaker opponents under previous managers. I, I covered the 2010 and 2014 World Cups where Italy were knocked out in the group stage. 2010 knocked out the Paraguay, New Zealand and Slovakia. And a lot of that was not down to the quality because clearly Italy were the best team in that group. But it was more the lack of respect shown to the opponent. So that is all down to Mancini again. And as a result, all, all the fans here, while still remembering what took place a few years back, are certainly excited for the future. And attention now turns to the round of 16 clash against Austria. Interested to hear your thoughts on what Mancini might do with his midfield. There was nothing wrong with the performances of Jorginho Barella and Locatelli in the first two matches, but both Marco Verratti mm-hmm. and Matteo Pessina were uh, excellent. They, they both impressed, in my opinion. Against Wales, it's a good headache for Mancini to have. Which way do you think he goes? The best headache for him to have. It's incredible. I did say pre-tournament that I felt Italy did have a top three midfield in the competition. I felt France and Germany perhaps edged them, but I'm not surprised that this midfield has absolutely excelled and been the reason as to why Italy has been so successful. Look, I think it's very harsh on Locatelli not to get the start, but Verratti is is a class above every player in that squad, potentially. He is as special as it gets, and Verratti must start. I think Jorginho will certainly retain his role and Barella will come back in. So for Mancini to stick with a three-man midfield, while I don't necessarily feel that there is as much balance between Verratti and Jorginho together, I prefer actually one of them playing with a Barella and Locatelli, but I think that he just simply must start Verratti, Jorginho 
and Barella with Locatelli, the option off the bench, and Pastina as well. But again, Berati has had some injury issues recently, so if he does need to rest or he can't play the 90 minutes, no concerns whatsoever because there is that depth and quality now that Italy has. But as I said earlier, they can call upon anyone to do the job and then expect that they'll get it done. And uh, Adriano, before we let you go, and I, I, I'm listening very uh, with great intent, uh, being married to uh, an Italian girl with uh, uh, a couple of sons, one older one in particular who throws to his Italian side and has been going down to Ligon Street with his mates to Nathurno and they're going to head down there on Saturday morning to watch uh, the Austria match. Wonderful. but. We are not um, masochists or sadists, I should say, here. Um, we do uh, listen to what you say with uh, a great deal of, uh, of uh, interest. And uh, and you've got England knocked out of the tournament by Germany um, at the uh, round of 16 stage. So for our English fans, give them a little bit of hope. What what, do, what does Yarra Southgate need to do to put together a lineup that you think could beat Germany in that uh, um, case that, uh, that, that your prediction is incorrect? Look, uh, look, England have quality, but for me, historically, it has been the same story with England. And we're seeing again with Southgate here, I still don't feel that he knows what his best 11 is. And we're going into the fourth game of the tournament, and this isn't an England team who, again, they look better on paper than they've performed so far. They, they came through the group, they didn't concede a goal, so so far so good on that front. But going forward is their strength. They have their stars up top, and the... the Quantity of goals have just not been there at this point. Now, again, I haven't seen England live, but having seen Germany live, particularly in that match against Portugal, they are more than capable. We, we know that. And I really feel that England is certainly going to have to be at their absolute best if they are to, to overcome Germany. From what I've seen at this point, do I think they can do it? Well, at home is an advantage. I, I don't, I won't be tipping them to win. But certainly given the fact that they do have the home advantage, certainly given the fact they are drawn into the weaker half of the draw as well, this is a golden opportunity for England to go very deep, potentially all the way and win their first ever European Championship. But it will be a very tough task against the German side who, again, have shown glimpses. They haven't been at their best consistently, but I think it will be a very tough, tough match at Wembley this weekend. Adriano, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Uh, look, enjoy the rest of the tournament. Uh, we, uh, If Italy do go all the way, we'd anticipate having to reach out to you again and uh, and just get a sense of what's uh, what's happening in Italy, the joy on the streets, uh, as we, we sort of think it will on this show. Uh, but uh, most importantly, on behalf of all uh, football fans back home, mate, uh, you're doing a great job and, um, and we're vicariously enjoying the tournament through your eyes. Really appreciate it, guys. And absolutely any time, always my pleasure. Adriano Delmonte up to sports covering the tournament uh, in a first class fashion and joining us on Box to Box again. All right, stay with us. We're going to talk more of the Euros after the break. We're going to recap the group stages with the boys and then make some predictions going into the sharp end of the knockout stage. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, This is Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. Nice chatting with Adriano. Very... Jealous of him being over there in the middle of all the action, some of the great games he's been at uh, covering the Euros. But uh, we continue our discussion around that very tournament. And uh, Derek, uh, where are we going to pick up the review from from here? I think we can all say we'd love to have been in Budapest, Rob, uh, particularly with those full grounds. And uh, Group F, the group of death, uh, 
page and it, as it turned out to be the death of Hungary, who were very, very unlucky not to get through here. Yeah, I must admit, I, I said at the, in, in this show uh, a couple of weeks ago that Hungary were, the, were only there for the beers. But um, I, I must apologise to them because uh, they picked up two points and a draw against France and a draw against Germany in very, very uh, controversial circumstances at different points of the game. So um, I'd have to say that um, that group has, for me, delivered the best football of the tournament so far, without a doubt. They do look like um, um, all of uh, France, Germany and Portugal can go deep into the tournament. Um, uh, and I think uh, everybody in England will be thinking, oh, my God, we've got to play Germany. I know what the psyche of the English football fan is, especially when they play Germany in a big tournament. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, um, it was fantastic. Um, for me, France are spluttering. They haven't really kicked into gear, and I think that's a good sign because they, they have a lot of improvement to come. And, and Portugal, people forget just how deep their squad is and how talented they are, and, and they could do anything in Germany. Well, they're sort of in a transitional phase, but they're still looking incredibly dangerous. So, um, yeah, for me, it's been a fabulous group and uh, watch those three teams. I think they could all reach the final four. Awesome milestone for Cristiano there as well. Age took into 109 goals, the joint world record scorer in men's football. And he's he's um, been quiet in a lot of the games, but I tell you what, he delivers on the big stage, doesn't he? He does. And that, uh, you know, the match against... Uh, France and Hungary, he was extreme. He's just his presence. Um, in the big moments of the games, uh, invariably you find him mixed up in it uh, one way or another and uh, he has still so much to offer. And uh, And I was sort of thinking at the start of this tournament that um, Kylian Mbappe... <laughs> Mbappe, we sorted that out Mbappe, last week. Mbappe, um, he was sort of uh, potentially the challenger to the throne of Messi and Ronaldo, but uh, not at this point uh, on form in the group stage. Kylian might still do some damage in the finals, but um, for me, Ronaldo, he, he's, he's so important to Portugal's... Uh, even at that age, uh, he's, in, he's in crucial to their, their prospects in this tournament. I tell you, he's outshining Mbappe, and that is uh, Karim Benzema. Uh, two goals last night, um, well-taken goals as well, including the penalty. And thank you know, from France's point of view, you know, thank goodness that he's that he's back in their squad, and he he I think he gives them the extra quality up front. So I'd, I'd keep an eye on him. Uh, Rob, one team that doesn't really have a striker is Spain. Now I know they. They thrashed Slovakia five uh, five zip, and and that put paid to their campaign. But you know, Morata, Moreno, they don't really have it up front, do they? No, they don't seem to. But uh, the one thing that I I did particularly notice in the commentary um, pointed this out was the uh, the uh, the togetherness of the Spanish side. And as when Morata came off and had missed a few opportunities, uh, he was still given um, the applause of the crowd and the uh, you know the high fives and pats on the back from his teammates. So I think um, there's something happening with that Spanish team uh, in, in a similar way to what we have seen. And I'm not saying they're going to go all the way and win it. I don't think they will. But um, they are now having had that recent history over the last 20 years of winning major tournaments they understand what it takes to uh, to to start slow and finish strong obviously uh, famously in South Africa where they lost to Switzerland in their opening round match and then went on to win the tournament so uh, so they're, they're in it up to their necks uh, when Spain beat uh, Slovakia who were in contention right up until the death and if they hadn't have been flogged 5-0 they were a chance of being one of the uh, the teams that went through as one of the, the top uh, third place getters and as we also know Portugal 
Portugal won it from that position last time round. So uh, I think uh, Slovakia were creditable. And uh, uh, Robert, can I ask you a question about Slovakia? Yes, you can. Do you think the Slovakian goalkeeper has been calling a lifeline since the end of the game? Uh, look, I, I, I felt for Martin Dubravka. He, he, he's a, 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 an outstanding goalkeeper. It was unfortunate what happened to him uh, where it was a really awkward bounce above the goal and he you know, he just flapped about a bit. But I, I think he's a quality keeper and I, I do feel sorry for him. So He's yeah. a quality clanger keeper. No, no, he's a good keeper. Newcastle. Do you think he's calling very... lifelong? No. He was rattled after it. I think uh, there was the other three or four that flew in. He was way out of position as well. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? he <laughs> yeah. I think he did. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. You, you feel for keepers when those things happen. You do. You do. And, and but uh, to wrap up the group, um, but he's uh, desperately needing some assistance. Uh, hey, yes, of hey, Rob. I mean, we know we're going to be doing the uh, predictions later. Mm. I'll have a guess that no one in the studio or Dino went for Sweden as top of the group with seven points. Uh, mm. Often seen as the doughty kind of off the back of defence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, that kind of defensive-minded, you know, good tournament regulars but never lighting up a tournament and yet... You know, a very entertaining game against Portugal, and you have to feel sorry for Robert Lewandowski. Yeah, uh, well, that, um, that the, the Sweden Poland match uh, was uh, was a cracker, and Lewandowski, uh, you know, really uh, he, he missed a couple of. of Golded opportunities that you think, how could a guy like him miss them? Uh, he's th- found his form. Did he get you know, him was, back in the game? Did well, he? Yeah, of course it was. It was all too late. With six minutes to go, it was two all, and uh, and they they needed to get the result. But to their credit, Sweden uh, dug deep, and uh, and Victor Klassen uh, scored the, the Volvo the DNA. They just uh, they're unbeatable. They just yeah. they like uh, just park the Volvo in front of the goals, and you'll be right. Yeah, so uh, out Slovakia, Poland, uh, Sweden go through top of the group as uh, Spain uh, uh, managed to get themselves together to get to second. So that was Group A, Derek. On to Group D and my Scotland have gone crashing out of the tournament. Uh, uh, Willem, you know, Scotland probably one of the weaker teams in this tournament that's looking at their performances. They left themselves, they, they were in with a puncher's chance when they got that equaliser, but, you know, realistically they had left themselves far too much to do in this group, do you think? I think so, Derek. I think they can leave with their heads held high given they probably went up to the standards of the other uh, teams. You definitely couldn't accuse them of not having a 100% red-hot crack. Probably didn't have the uh, the creativity up front. I think uh, our man Lyndon Dykes, Rob, probably proved he's not up to it long-term for Scotland, unfortunately. Shay Adams sort of uh, miffed a couple of chances. But the Billy Gilmore as well. that final game was critical, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. I was looking forward to seeing a bit of him. But uh, Derek, I think Scotland certainly uh, haven't lost any admirers, despite the fact they pulled just the one point. Scotland have just got to learn from this experience. I think they've probably realised that, unlike Wales, who we'll talk about later, they don't have star quality players in attacking areas. So while they might might be robust in defence and have some interesting players out wide uh, left with Kieran Tierney and Robertson, I just don't think they had the quality in the squad. And I think that was underlined by Croatia's goal and Modric, who, I mean, that was just pure silk, uh, mm, yeah. you know, just the, one of the one of the lovely finishes. And I think that absolutely torpedo Scotland, really, and, and their chances in this game after that. Croatia go through in second. Czech Republic will go through as well with their four points too. And they lost to England. Um, and England again, 1-0, Raheem Sterling, another goal. Uh, but the fans very at, at home very upset, gentlemen. You know, a little bit of talk about radio that I've listened to. Fans are not happy with the performance of the team. They're not happy with the attacking intent of the team, even though Gareth did give some starts to um, players such as Jack Grealish uh, in, in, in this particular round of fixtures. So England threw with seven points and on paper, you know, job done, the banana skin of, of, of Scotland over the horizon. And 
Uh, we'll talk about who they're playing next. But, yeah, look, they, they have not been spectacular, but at the end of the day, they've done what they needed to do and what was potentially a, quite a tricky group. Willem, let's go to Group C and get your rundown. Your boys, um, three out of three. Uh, and unfortunately for Macedonia, nil out of three. Yeah, this was a fun group at the start, Derek, but I think it sort of limped to the line a little bit tamely, unfortunately. The Dutch, as you said, three wins from three. They now go to Glasgow to play the Czech Republic. But I don't think they've been properly challenged as yet. I'm glad they got rid of that Vut Veghorst, the second striker. I think he's a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a plotter, a bit of a big target man. They've replaced him with the more nimble Daniel Mull, and hopefully they stick with him. I think Vine Aldum showed against North Macedonia is clearly their most important player. Got forward for a couple of goals. I think when they come up against the better sides as well, he'll drop back and play a far more defensive role than the other two midfielders that sit alongside him. It's a nice fluid midfield, Michael. They all sort of uh, they cover for each other when one of them goes forward or one of them drops back. Austria, I think, Derek, they're not overly exciting unfortunately in the front third similar to uh, Scotland there's there's no one on that side that can really pick a, a nice ball to unlock the defence they're pretty good defensively though so they're going to head over to Italy or they're going to play Italy rather we just spoke to Adriano about that I think their best chance is probably to uh, to set up defensively from the start hopefully go long and uh, grab a, a win late the Ukraine game Derek int- uh, their final game against Austria interesting uh, interested to get your thoughts on this one I think they're exceedingly fortunate to go through with uh, three points and a minus one goal difference they can thank Spain for putting five past uh, five, five past Slovakia. Usually, Derek, when you get a game like that, they, they just needed a goal to go through. You'd expect to, them to uh, pile plays forward and put a bit of pressure on, but there was none of that. They didn't click through the gears. They had just the one shot on target. There is an east-west divide in Europe in terms of the quality of the teams, and I've not been that impressed with um, a lot of the teams from the old Eastern Bloc, including Ukraine. A lot of a lack of imagination and a lack of quality amongst those sides. And there was you know some people calling for all four teams from Group F to go through. <laughs> including Hungary because they'd put on a much better show in their three games compared to uh, Ukraine who you know had you know the whipping boys North Macedonia in their group and Austria not the strongest team but uh, Austria with six points you know potentially a dark horse along with uh Denmark, who, you know, unbelievably in this group are second, having lost their first two games. Everyone must have thought that they were dead and buried um, in in this group. That's probably a bad turn of phrase, given what Mm. happened in the first game. But... um, but but Denmark are now second in that group and Rob possibly the dark horse here you know they've got nothing they've literally got nothing to lose Denmark have they? Well I remember I worked in hospitality industry back in 1991 and uh, we had this uh, Danish waiter from Copenhagen and I I, I was already in the Italian sort of uh, oeuvre married to uh, my uh, Italian wife at that stage and her father was right into it but this young fella he was talking about Denmark from the very get-go about how they'd gotten into the tournament at the last minute and Mate, I've never seen so much uh, so much excitement when this uh, when this young fellow was telling me about how they'd made the final because I hadn't watched it. And so, look, I think that there's a. Fa- I know I talked about it after the Ericsson um, incident uh, that the story's not over. It is the city of fairy tales, Copenhagen, and uh, and and so we have seen a fairy tale already of sorts. We've seen that headline in lots of the the newsprint copies. So, uh, so look, I, I I would love to see Denmark make a run at this and and do something. Willem, you you've got something to say. Yeah, there's been a bit of criticism, Derek, about having the uh, the four third. Uh, sorry, the, yeah, the four third place sides going through. Uh, a couple of the groups, including Group F, stopped a little bit dead. But this one, for mine, was was by far the most exciting. There was a, an instance where Denmark scored their second, and Belgium scored a goal as well. So Denmark were through. Then Russia got the penalty, and the Belgian goal was chalked off. The uh, the permutations changed six or seven times. So based on this group, I was a pretty big fan of the uh, the third place teams going through. This is the result of just more teams being in this tournament going through to a. Six- 
six group as opposed to a four group phase. So um, Belgium go through as top of the group, three out of three. Lukaku, I think, looks like the, looks the best player in the championship at the moment. Just stunning form. And we spoke group, we spoke about Group A a lot with uh, Adriano, but we know Italy went through three out of three, looking good. And uh, I will switch my allegiances, Rob, now to Wales. Now that Scotland <laughs> are out, so I'm going to stick to my Celtic heritage and they're going to get behind those Welsh boys. Stoppage time. Stick around. That's coming up next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. What a busy show it's been this week. A-League Grand Final in the first hour, Euros in the second. This is stoppage time. The fourth official has given us eight minutes, but there's always enough time to talk about Storage King. And there's a week to go from this great offer. Decluttering, moving, renovating at your place, or you just need some more space. You've got to call Storage King. They're the best in the business. They've got a crack team of storage professionals. They'll help you find the right place for your family or your business's storage solution. And if you're moving by June the 30th, there's still time to get that done. You'll receive $100 worth of boxes and packing materials absolutely free. Conditions to apply. Check out the website, storageking.com.au, and let's Storage King give you back some space all right gentlemen um Derek over to you yeah well look I personally I think we should go to Willem and we should find out while we're sort of putting the the end on the, the final touches on the group stages you know how did we all do with our predictions I think most of most of it was pretty routine but you know uh, people like Sweden going top may have may have put some cats amongst the pigeons how about it Willem yeah, Derek, far from pretty routine uh, as it's actually uh, fallen out. So I'll just quickly run through Dino's rules. If you picked your team in the correct position, you get five points. If all four teams in the group are in the correct position, you get 20 points, five each, plus six bonus points. So 26 is the maximum you can take from one group. If you get the top two selections in a group correct, but in the wrong order, you get two points for each of them. So that's four points. So the results, there were six of us involved. Sorry, Damo, I think Dino probably didn't send it through to you, but you should have been in there. It's Dean... Michael, Rob, Derek, Willem, and of course, John Beckett from Nottingham. In last place, myself, 34 points. Don't know what I was doing there. Rob in fifth, 45. In fourth was Derek, 54. In third was Michael, 65. In second was John Beckett, 81. And Dino, by a point, has taken out his own competition. (laughs) 82 points. He nailed Group A and Group F. Rob, you were the only man to get all of Group B right. You were the only one to put Finland ahead of Russia. So Mm. congratulations there. And I was flogging home that final match for Hungary. (laughs) If Hungary had got up, the the, the whole story would have been very different. And Michael and John Beckett shared, uh, or they both got a Group F spot on. So well done, Dino. Okay. Well done, Dino. That's... um you know, I think we may have to do some investigations into that if it's Dino's competition and he's... Is that why point over his good mate as well? Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Beckett, well done, John Beckett. Um, you didn't pip him, but um, um, Dino, ask speech class every time. Uh, John, you can put in a, uh, a protest, by the way, if you want to... Uh, yeah, we should get Dino the uh, because, spreadsheet know. audited. Yeah, we'll do that. KPMG, yeah. little... Um, yeah, Jono. Yeah, Jono. <laughs> All right. Okay, back to the serious stuff. We're going to make some predictions about who we think will go through from this uh, knockout stage. Round of 16, gents. Is, uh, have we actually read out the uh, the full lineup? No, let's do it now. Okay, so in in one half of the draw, we have uh, Wales and Denmark will play each other, and then Italy and Austria, and the winner of that game, those two games will play each other in the quarters. Uh, Netherlands will play the Czech Republic, and Belgium will play Portugal in one of the standout uh, 
ties of the last 16, the two winners there. So Netherlands or Ange might be on a crash course with uh, Belgium or Portugal there, Willem. Uh, Croatia and Spain will duel it out and so will France and Switzerland. Uh, so potentially a Spain-France final, depending on how those two games go. And uh, England and Germany, of course, will get to that one in a set. We'll play on Tuesday along with uh, uh, Sweden and Ukraine. And uh, some people now thinking that England, despite lots of calls from fans wanting them to kind of throw the group to get a better draw, England have now got Germany and then they'll play either Sweden or Ukraine in the course final, uh, which which actually looks pretty reasonable. But we better talk about England, Germany. Guys, of course, it's a fixture that resonates long into the history books. Let's face it, Germany have had the best of this fixture. England, of course, won in 1966, 4-2 uh, in the World Cup final. That's as good as it got for England, uh, possibly apart from their 5-1 victory in Munich uh, back in 2001 and the hat-trick for Michael Owen. But of course, uh, with uh, Germany, they knocked England out in the quarterfinals of the World Cup 1970, knocked England out of the uh, semifinals of the World Cup in 1990 on penalties. Chris Waddle blazing it over the bar. 1996, knocked out of the semifinals of Euros uh, on penalties again and uh, probably more recently and famously the famous game where England had their asses handed to them 4-1 <laughs> by Germany and the famous ghost goal um, from Frank Lampard. So, Which edge English- was right behind the goals, Ed? I was, well, right, I was actually right on, on the goal line so I saw the ball go over the I saw the ball go over the goal line and said to everybody who was around me, that's a goal, and then uh, spent the next three minutes laughing at all the English fans, <laughs> crying in their beers because they uh, realised the goal, which was a goal, was not a goal because the referee decided to not see it. And that was um, a great moment. One of my great moments in World Cup football was actually watching the England fans just capitulate like that. Yeah, it was fantastic. God, you can be nasty. Uh, Euros have brought something We've got to nasty make some out of bench over the last couple of weeks. He's been mm. piling into the poor well, thank North God. Macedonians well, and now the Poms. Thank God they're out of the tournament. Oh. We won't see them back at the Euros for 40 years. Alexander Tchaikovsky rumoured to be coming to Melbourne Victory, Michael. Germany will win because England's psyche is just... They, they, the pessimism, the complaining, the second-guessing, doubting, Gareth Southgate, will he wear his waistcoat, will he not wear his waistcoat? I tell you what, Germany's going to win this easily. I think the Czech Republic coach stole his waistcoat, by the way, if, if that was him. I might be wrong, but I did see another coach wearing a, uh, a waistcoat. I, I'm tipping England. I think uh, on the balance of probability, um, England uh, usually beat Germany at, um, at their national sport, which uh, I think was a famous line by Gary Lineker at one point, but uh, they, they will uh, eventually beat Germany in uh, in uh, this Wembley quarterfinal or round of sixteen knockout match. That's my selection. What, what about you, Willem? I will be going for England. I would normally choose Germany for all the reasons Michael's outlined, but they just haven't been that impressive for mine. I think England to scrape through by goal. Oh, demand shaft, possibly in extra time or penalties. <laughs> um, he's, he's on my wavelength, isn't he? Derek's on my wavelength. He really is. Okay, well, let's get um, back to the order of things, though, from the from the uh, from this weekend. Okay, we, we, were, we were talking about England Germany, but let's get back to the Wales Denmark match. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Denmark and Wales, the, the you know two teams that you know could. could Progress to the you know the quarterfinals, which would be an excellent result for them. I'm going to be patriotic to a degree, go Wales, and say that uh, Ramsey and Bale are going to get it done. No, Denmark wins this one. The fairy tale continues. Where is this game played? 
It's, it's in Amsterdam. It's, uh, it's in Amsterdam. Which is uh, uh, where um, Ericsson started his top flight career at Ajax, of course. So, yeah, uh, and it's driving distance from Denmark, so uh, all the Danes will be there, like good Vikings they are, and they'll get the job done against they the, are travellers, the, Vikings. the coal miners. The Vikings or the coal miners, obviously the Vikings. I think Denmark, I think they'll be taking a lot of confidence out of that. They've got a couple of cracking goals against Russia. I think they will be right up and about, so Denmark for me. Okay, we can skip over the next one, can't we? We're all agreed Italy's going to win that one yep. against Austria. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Will I um, argue the case for the Dutch against the Czech Republic? I think the Dutch, as I said, Jorginho Wijnaldum, if there's any stress, can just drop back into uh, defensive midfield. I think they've got plenty of options that have been coming off the bench. I think De Boer's rotated the squad nicely, and I think the Czech Republic have been okay. They're going to rely heavily on Paddy Schick to, uh, to find the goals again. I think the Dutch will get this one done, but how much further? I'm not overly convinced. Just motoring at the right time, I agree with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm tipping Netherlands, but I'm a bit sus on them because the group's been soft. I'm going for Netherlands, but I think that they will meet their maker in the quarterfinal when they play either Belgium or Portugal. All right, well, if the England-Germany match isn't the marquee uh, match of the round of 16, the Belgium-Portugal one certainly is. That is very tough to call. Uh, I just think uh, we've already talked about uh, Romelu Lukaku being probably the, the star of the tournament so far. He's uh, a cavalcade of other uh, stars around him. I, th- I think they do beat Portugal, who've just been a little bit too wobbly for mine. Uh, Derek, um, is Belgium spluttering a bit like France? Do you think they haven't really hit their straps yet? Do you, do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think so. I just think this squad has uh, got too much quality in it for Portugal. I don't think it's a surety, but I just look at Lukaku up front and how he can dominate, and I think Portugal's centre-backs are going to have a tough time. I'll be predicting for the rest of the games, Belgium, France and Croatia to beat Spain. Okay, you've gone through uh, those pretty quickly, Willem. All right, well, I'll, I'll do the same then. So um, I've already uh, selected Belgium, and I think uh, Spain will be too good for Croatia. I think we've seen the the dying of the light there, and Spain just starting to motor home. Uh, France just beat Switzerland, but it'll be a tough game. Switzerland always seem to perform above uh, their station, and uh, I think Sweden uh, are just that dark horse to carry on the run of, of – there always seems to be a dark horse into the round of 16. Croatia defend well, so I'm picking Croatia to beat Spain. I'm picking Belgium to beat Portugal. France will get the job done against Switzerland. And uh, and I think the game that will throw up the most drama, Sweden and Ukraine. I think that could be a very good game. I'm going with Edge on Croatia, doing it over Spain, France obviously over Switzerland, and I'm going to go for the Swedes. I like the look of them in this tournament, and I think they've got too much charisma and character for the Ukraine. Park the Volvo in front of the goals and you, you got the job done. <laughs> we'll find it if they do. All right, boys, well done, Michael. Thank Busy you. weekend. We'll enjoy it. Grand final. We've got more Euro action. Coffee. Get the coffee going. Uh, it's going to be a long weekend. Thank you, Rob. Cracking show once again. See you next week. Derek. We're in the uh, we're in the business end of this Euros, guys. Can't wait. We sure are. And Damo, you're sitting over there with uh, your Rocky Five shirt on. Um, I think. Forza sort of, uh, Italia. <laughs> and if you didn't hear that, it was Forza Italia. Okay. Well, I uh, have thoroughly enjoyed this week's show, and I'm looking forward to enjoying a, a week of classic football locally and uh, in uh, Europe as well. And we hope you do too. And we hope you join us again next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.